Good evening, Grace Church. How are you doing tonight? Awesome. We are so glad that you're here. And we're going to finish, or we're going we're to continue in our series, Finishers, tonight. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the book of Esther. I'm going to teach you all the way through it. So put your seatbelt on as we uh, cover a lot of ground this evening. So let's pray. If you can hear my voice, you know that I am struggling with my voice a little bit tonight. So uh, we'll see how far I get along, along the way before I lose it. So Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this evening, God. I pray earnestly that uh, you, God, would allow us to hear your word with purity, with a pure heart, God. I pray, God, that your spirit, God, would lead in every element of our service, and I pray, God, that you would be glorified from start to finish in every way, and I pray these things because we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start tonight where I started last week, and that is in Hebrews chapter number 12. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So this passage of Scripture says that the people have, that have gone before us are this witness, and, and you and I stand on the shoulders. We, are, we have an obligation, actually, to finish well. That's what Hebrews is telling us, that you and I have this obligation because of what they have done finishing well. You and I need to finish well. So that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. I wanna say this again. It doesn't matter as much as how you start the race. It does matter intently how you finish the race. So I'm, I'm assuming that you wanna be a great finisher, right? Is that true? You can talk back, this is okay. Yeah, so let's, let me ask that question one more time. So I'm assuming that you wanna be a great finisher, right? Yeah. All right, that's great, that's better. So let's start with Esther tonight. Let's talk about Esther. The story of Esther is, uh, takes place in about 470 B.C., so quite a while ago. And Israel had been taken captive by Babylon, which is located in modern-day Iraq. You get the picture? So they've been taken captive because Israel had disobeyed God. And God had sent the prophets and sent everyone uh, to warn them, and Israel refused to hear what the prophets said. So eventually God caused, raised up the nation of Babylon, came in, besieged the city of, of Jerusalem and took out of the city of Jerusalem the, 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 those residents who were there, took them back to Babylon, and they resided there for some time. And then what happened was is that God raised up another nation by the name of the Persians. And the Persians then besieged Babylon. So Babylon then becomes the inhabitant of the Persians, and there's a, there's a king, and the, the Jews found themselves under the rule of the Persian king, Xerxes. Kind of sounds like a beginning of a Star Wars movie, right? So that's, that's the scene of the, of the book of Esther. So the, the nation of Israel are in captivity. There's this king that is somewhat benevolent to Israel, somewhat sympathetic to them, but the people around him are not. And so that's where the story begins. The king decides that he is going to throw a party, but this party lasted for seven days. So let me just stop and say to all the women here, I'm gonna talk about some things as they were just like they were. It's not like they are today, I hope, but the truth is is that we're gonna talk about the way they were because that's a part of Esther's story. So with that in mind, the king, Xerxes, 
he, uh, he throws this <clears throat> party that lasts for seven days, and it is a party of lavish festival, and it is, there's, it's drunkenness and everything that associates with drunkenness, all manner of drinking. And, and on the last day of the feast, he decides, you know, I don't know what happens after you've been drinking for seven days. Actually, I do, but that's another story altogether. So he decides it would be a good idea. I don't know why. He decides it would be a good idea that if he calls up his wife, uh, sends her a text over in her residence and says, why don't you come on over to the palace where we're all drunk and why don't you just pray yourself through our, so, you know, so, so he just thought it was a good idea to have the queen come and pray through all these drunk men. So the queen says, absolutely not. I am not coming. I, there's no way. Uh, it angered the king and the entire staff, but she refused. And so here's what they are thinking. And I'm not making this up, I promise you. This is actually in the book of Esther. By the way, you ought to read sometime this week the book of Esther. It's every bit as good as Netflix. I'm just telling you, you know, the setting of Esther is amazing and uh, it, it, you know, it, it sells in modern-day America. And so, so here's what these men, these drunken men were thinking when, when, it, when the queen decides not to show up. They're thinking, if we let the queen get away with this, women everywhere are going to start disrespecting their husbands. Can you, I mean, that's, that was their thinking. I, I know they were drunk, but that's what they were thinking. So the king declared that the queen was no longer the queen. He fired her. He divorced her. And uh, now he is in the hunt for a new queen. He has to have a queen, and so uh, I don't know why he did this, but this is what they did in that culture. Uh, if you're a powerful male in the ancient world, what better way would there be to find a queen than to parade every single beautiful woman through the palace? So that's exactly what this king did. He prays all the beautiful women through the palace, and among the hundreds of women who, who were sent to the palace was a young woman by the name of Esther. So she was secretly a Jew, and she was an orphan who was raised by her close relative, Mordecai. So now we have another character. I want you to pay close attention to the characters we have. So we have Xerxes, who is the king. We, we have Esther, who now is the queen. And we have Mordecai, who is her close relative and advisor. So although she was of the lowest class, the Lord was with her. She, she found favor in the sight of God and of man. And ultimately, the king chose her to be queen. Now, the plot thickens a bit. Sometime later, Mordecai, remember who Mordecai was? Mordecai was her close relative that raised her and now was her advisor, was sitting in the gate one day. And in that time, in that, that uh, culture, it would be like he was sitting down at City Hall. <clears throat> that would be the equivalent. So he's sitting at City Hall, and he overhears a plot against the king. And so he warns Esther. He told Esther, and Esther tells the king, and the king took action, got rid of those who were the perpetrators, and sometime after he had found himself then in trouble with a man named Haman. So now we introduce a new, a new character. By the way, uh, Mordecai never received any reward, no thanks. It was just he did this deed, and uh, he spoiled the plot, but there was never any inference to ever him being rewarded for this, uh, this particular act of kindness. Sometime later, he found himself in trouble when a man named Haman, Haman there's this another character, was raised to power. He was the second in command under the king. So if you're my age, 
Haman has a counterpart in the culture that I was raised in, and I would liken Haman to Eddie Haskell. Anybody remember Eddie Haskell was my age? Okay, so Eddie Haskell, if you don't know <clears throat> who Eddie Haskell is, Eddie Haskell was on the show Leave it to Beaver, and he was every mother's worst nightmare. That's Haman. Haman was every mother's worst nightmare. And by the way, you can, you can probably catch this on Netflix so you can see what, what Eddie Haskell was all about, but that's what Haman was. And uh, Haman, who was the second in command, got this idea that when he walked through the streets, he wanted all, all of the Persians and all of the, all of the Israelites to bow before him and declare how great he was. He, that, he thought that was a good idea. So the problem was, is that Mordecai, remember who Mordecai was? Mordecai was this close relative of Esther. Mordecai took offense at that and said, there's absolutely no way, not a snowball's chance in Hades, that I'm ever gonna bow down to Haman. Any, not now, not in this life, not in 10 lives. He just decided he was not gonna do that. This so enraged Haman that he came up with a plot not only to kill Mordecai, but every single Jew in the country, including women and children. That's how Haman, that's how evil Haman was. So you're not gonna bow, now get the logic of this. So Mordecai, you're not gonna bow down to me. I know what I'll do. I'll kill thousands and thousands of people because you choose not to bow down to me. It's kind of illogical, right? You would think that's illogical, but that's what he thought, that's what he did. And so he manipulated the king to put in a decree that, that would eventually eliminate even Queen Esther along the way. So when Mordecai found out about this, about this decree to kill all of his countrymen, he then goes to Esther, who he is an advisor to, and he's a relative of, and he says, Esther, you're the only one that can, that can actually make any difference here. And so he begs Esther to go and appear before the king and appeal that this would not happen. So she decided after much prayer and fasting to do it. But here's what you need to understand. And, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not agreeing with this culture, but I'm just simply saying this is the way it was. If you came to the court of the king, unannounced, uninvited, you had the, you had the possibility of being executed on the spot. The king, if he didn't put out his scepter to welcome you, I mean, that's just the culture that they lived. And uh, if you didn't do that, if he, the king didn't do that, then you had the, prob the probability of being executed. So Esther, through great courage and, and fortitude and faith, she decided that she, she didn't care if she perished. In fact, she says, if I perish, I perish. So with the resolve in her heart, with that resolve in her heart, she approaches the king with the same resolve that I have when I eat Brussels sprouts. That's the kind of resolve that she, that she had. And when the king saw her standing before him, he chose to beckon her to come forward. And he said, what would you like me to do? And so she said, she was a wise and amazing woman of faith. She said that she would like the king and Haman. You remember that? You remember Eddie Haskell? She, would, she wanted the king and Haman to come to a feast that she would prepare. So the king was delighted, so was Haman, by the way. So after they had eaten the, the, this feast, the king said to Esther, so what do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What is it that you want? You're the queen, what do you want me to do? And she said, uh, well, let me just fix you one more feast, and at the end of that feast, I'll tell you exactly what I want you to do. So, so Haman felt happy that day because he was invited back to another feast, 
And so on the way home, he noticed Mordecai. Uh, remember him? He was the close relative. He noticed Mordecai, and he was reminded of how much he hated him. So are you following my story? This is so important. This is all in the Bible. That night, Mordecai decided in his heart that he was going to build a gallow. He was so angry at Haman. I'm sorry, I got that backwards. That Haman was so angry at Mordecai he, that he was going to build a, a set of gallows and he wanted to hang him in a public sense. It wasn't, he wasn't going to wait for this decree to happen. He wanted to get even with Mordecai and so that's what he did. He had these, these gallows built. That night, this is all, by the way, in the book of Esther. And I know it's a lot, but this is so good and we're going to bring it to a conclusion in just a second. That night, the king couldn't sleep and he didn't have Netflix. So he called a reader into his chambers and the reader got out the history books. If you don't sleep, that's what you read is history, right? So, so he gets out the history books and begins to read about the fact that Mordecai had done this amazing, this amazing work and saved his life. And he asked the person who was reading, said, have we done anything to reward Mordecai for his faithful service to me? And the answer was no. And so the king called Haman and asked, what should I do? I just got a question for you, Haman. What should I do for someone who wants to, that I want to honor? Haman, this is so funny, Haman thinks that the king wants to honor him. So Haman said that you should put your royal robes on him, take your robes off, put them on him, and put a crown on his head and parade him through the streets. That's what you should do. So the king thought that that was a great idea, and uh, he said, perfect, go get Mordecai and do exactly what I've just told you, what you just explained to do. So, so now Haman has to, and by the way, I want you to be the one that leads the horse. So here, so here Haman is, is taking Mordecai through the streets and uh, all the time he is just absolutely livid and he cannot, he, cannot, he cannot stand himself. And so after this, the very next day, came the time that, of the next feast. Second feast. Esther brings Haman and uh, the king together and feeds them this elaborate dinner. And at the end... More, uh, the king says, so I want to give you up to half my kingdom. What is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do? And so she said, uh, she said, well, here's the deal, king. There's somebody in your kingdom that has risen up into power and has made a decree and has actually manipulated you into making a decree that my people, I'm an Israelite, I'm a Jew and my people are gonna be executed by this decree. And so the king was furious, couldn't believe that that had happened. And so he said, well, who would do that, such a thing? And Esther pointed to Haman and said, here's the man right here, he's the one. And so the, the bottom line of the bottom line of that story is the fact that he was executed the next day on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai, he was executed. That's how God works. And so a new decree was issued and the life of all the Jews were spared. And it is, Esther is an amazing book. You ought to read it sometime. It shows us the providence of God. It shows us faith, what it really is. It shows us how God interacts with these people. It is an amazing book to read. It's great. And here we have this woman of faith that 
is just, just does astonishing things. And so as I was thinking about this, that this week, I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a controversy in Christian circles that arose and there was a pastor in Southern California that uh, was speaking of a, about another woman who was, who was leading a large ministry preaching the word of God and uh, he made a statement that that woman should just go home. I don't know if you read about that, but uh, it's been all over my Facebook pages. And so as I was thinking about that, I asked myself the question, what would, and by the way, don't agree with that at all. And uh, so I asked myself this question, what would happen if Esther had just gone home? You know what I mean? Just gone home. Don't belong in the kingdom. Don't belong in high affairs. Don't belong using your leadership gifts. What if Esther had just gone home? So if Esther had just gone home, a nation would have been wiped out. The tribe of Judah would have been wiped out for sure. And the fact is, is that if the tribe of Judah was wiped out, then the lineage of Jesus would have been destroyed. So Jesus would never have been born and you and I would still be in our sins if Esther had just gone home. Now that's pretty powerful, right? You don't get any more powerful than that. So, so if I, as I think about Esther, I think there are several words that come to my mind. I wanna have that kind of faith, don't you? I wanna have that kind of walk with God. I wanna have the kind of walk with God that Esther had. So what would be kind of some of the words that would describe Esther? So I came up with four. And the first word that I would say, and I think you would agree, and this is, it's logical, uh, I think Esther would, is this amazing woman of faith. Would you agree with that? She had the courage to do what was right. She did it. She was amazing. And uh, so let me see if I, could, I can demonstrate how you and I get there. How do you and I go from where we are right now to have the kind of faith that we would want to have inside of our life, the kind of faith that Esther had? So how do I get there? So I want to tell you a wild and crazy story that kind of explains the, the process that God uses to bring faith into our life. So there's this dude called Luke Akins, and uh, he recently got jumped out of a, of a plane 25,000 feet in the air, and he did it without a parachute. And he landed on a net that was 100 feet by 100 feet. Had he missed that net, he would have perished. He'd have been splattered all over the countryside. But uh, he jumped out, and you think that's pretty crazy, right? You probably wouldn't do that. I mean, to jump out of a perfectly good airplane without a parachute is, you know, it's almost insanity, right? You would think that. I would think that. But here's the deal. Luke had jumped. This was, this was a place in his life where he had, previous to this, had jumped 1,800 times. In fact, he had taken and strapped on a parachute, and he had made the same jump to the net with a parachute on his back literally tons of times and he figured out exactly wind speeds. He figured out exactly what he need, where he needed to jump, how he needed to jump, and uh, what, you know, how his body should, you know, how, how he should float down. Figured that all out. And so by the time he came to the point of jumping, he had really figured out what needed to take place to survive that jump. So as I thought about that, as I read that story, I thought to myself, that's exactly how faith works, right? So let me just say this. You don't just wake up one morning and have this mountain of faith in your life. You just don't wake up and go, man, I am so filled with faith today. 
How does faith happen? Faith isn't something I wake up with. It's a practice. So I've got to learn the disciplines in my life to practice faith. So the question that I would have for you tonight, first question I'd have for you tonight, I have several. First question I have to you, for you tonight is what are you doing right now? What are the steps that you're taking in your life to increase your faith? Because if you're taking no steps, you're not increasing your faith at all. You're just staying the same. So what are the steps in your life? What are the steps in your life that you're taking right now that is increasing your faith? How are you putting yourself in a position where only God can deliver? How are you doing that? Because if you're not, I'm just gonna tell you, you're not increasing in your faith. You're just staying the same. What are you doing in your life that's causing your faith to magnify itself, to grow? Even if it's in small amounts, what are you doing? How are you putting yourself out there? You know, one of the greatest opportunities that we have in life to, tr to learn how to trust God, and that's what we're really talking about. Faith is, the, is the, 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 the idea of learning how to put my faith and trust in the living God. So God has already created a system for us to do that. And that system is simply this. Take a deep breath. Are you ready? That system is simply this. I learn how to trust God when I give off of the top of my income, not off the bottom. I don't figure, I don't figure what I can afford to give to God. I give what I think he wants me to give and I trust God for the rest. That's how giving works or it should work. If you just give to God off the bottom, you're not, you're not using the tool that God has given to you. You're just, you're not growing your faith. What are you doing to grow in your faith? You know, many times people, many times people are, you know, they get frozen over at the mouth when it comes to sharing their faith to, other, uh, to their friends and family. What are you doing to put yourself in a position where you open your mouth and speak? You know, that's not just about, that's not just about them. It's also about you. It's you learning how to trust God with results. It's you learning how that you can trust God. So the first thing that I see in Esther's life is the idea of faith, and I, I honestly believe that faith is something that, is, is something that I can grow in. I can grow in my faith by having the right practices inside of my life. The second word that I would say that, the, the second word that I would suggest to you that was characteristic of Esther is the idea of courage. This is a courageous woman, wasn't she? I mean, she put her life on the line. And so I wanna tell you about somebody else like her. And uh, actually there's a, being a, there's a movie that's coming out about her. I think it comes out next month. Should be in the theaters here in Reno by next month. And it's the movie Harriet. And Harriet is about a woman who was born into slavery in Maryland in a plantation in 1822. And she was beaten by her owners. She endured pain of seeing three of her sisters sold and never see them again. And as time went on, she heard rumors that she was going to be sold and uh, she was gonna be separated from the rest of her family and she decided that she wasn't gonna take that and so she ran away and uh, she made it into Pennsylvania where she was a free woman. But here's the interesting thing about her is that she wasn't satisfied with just her freedom. She made tons of trips back to where she was a slave and she rescued tons, hundreds of black people out of slavery and into freedom. So here's what I want you to hear me say about courage. 
courage, the, the purest form of courage, like in Esther's life, the purest form of courage isn't always about me. Sometimes it's about somebody else. The purest form of courage isn't always about me. Sometimes, like Esther, I have to step into the breach. And you think about that. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? As he emptied himself of the right to be regarded as God, took on the form of a servant, went to, as he was born into this world, he knew exactly what the outcome was going to be. There was no mystery there. He knew the cross was coming, and yet he did it. And the question is, is it why did he do it? Well, the Bible teaches us that he did it for us. The joy of seeing our salvation. And it took great courage for him to endure that. That's the kind of courage I believe that God rewards, and that's the kind of courage that I believe that Esther had. The third key word is the idea of focus. I think she was focused on doing exactly what God had called her to do. And I think you and I have focus. I just think we, are, we easily lose our focus, and oftentimes we focus on the wrong things. We get focused on things that don't have eternal value in our lives. Not evil things, not evil things, just empty things. We just get focused on those empty things, and I believe that that is a tragedy when that happens, when you and I, and that's the work of the evil one in our life, is just to get us to focus on all the wrong things. So let me just stop preaching for just a few minutes and start meddling with your life, if I could. So I find it fascinating that we're fixated as a culture on hot drinks and cold drinks that Starbucks produces. You ever notice that? And there are people that say, you know, don't talk to me until I get my Starbucks. I hope you're not one of those. You might be. If you are, all of us around you are praying for you. We're going to lay our hands on you later tonight. But here's, and you know, I'm not opposed to Starbucks. I love Starbucks. I go to it myself and, you know, and uh, I'm not opposed to it. But here's what I think is wrong. I think what is wrong and what is empty is when I spend more on, on Starbucks than I do on sharing the gospel with the poor or if I giving to the poor. I think that's way out of balance, don't you? When I give more to Starbucks, when I spend $120 and $130 at Starbucks and then I say in my own soul to justify myself, I really can't afford to give to the poor, something is wrong with that picture, don't you think? It's not that Starbucks is evil. If you have a Starbucks card, I'll accept any of them afterwards. I mean, I, I just would. I'm kidding. But I think you understand what I mean by that? If, for, if I'm going to have the kind of relationship with God, the kind, if I want to be the kind of man or woman of God that Esther was, I've got to have the right focus in my life, and I've got to understand that the goal of the evil one, the goal of my enemy, is to always cause me to lose focus and get it on all of the wrong things. We are an entertainment-based culture. So we live for the weekend, right? We live for Friday and Saturday night. I mean, it's see, you see it all over social media. But the truth is, is that we ought to be living every day to the fullest. It doesn't matter whether it's Friday or Saturday or Monday or Tuesday. We shouldn't dread Mondays. Mondays is a day that God has made for you and I to serve him. And so, so we, just, we, we lose focus. And the key to focus is narrowing the target, just narrowing the target, realizing that I've got to focus on what matters, what has eternal value. That has to have my focus. And then there's this idea in Esther's life of initiative. The tragedy of life is not that it ends too soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. 
Let me say that one more time because that was good. That was really good. So the tragedy of life isn't that it ends so soon. The tragedy of life is that we wait so long before we begin it. Here's what I think. Um, I think that you know, when you think about Esther, she had initiative. She, had, she didn't wait. She took the opportunity. She jumped through the hoops that God had set before her. That's initiative. Then lastly, what I want to say is if Esther were here, what would Esther say to us here tonight? If she had the opportunity, and you know, if she came back from heaven, and uh, I would gladly get off the stage and allow her to speak the last few minutes tonight. In fact, I would have given her the whole service to tell her story. Um, but here's, here's what I think she would say. I think the first thing that Esther would say is uh, when you don't understand, stay steady. And life throws a lot of hard things at us. When you don't understand why, you just stay steady. That's what Esther did. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Just stay steady. Keep your eyes on the game. Keep your eyes on the ball. You just stay steady. I think the second thing Esther would say is when you realize God's purpose for your life, you feel empowered. When you realize God's purpose for your life, you just feel empowered. Many of you, you know, have to drag yourself up tomorrow morning, on Monday morning, to get to work, and the reason for that is that you're not empowered. And I, the reason you're not empowered is because living on purpose is what empowers you. Living on purpose is what empowers you. In fact, this is what is interesting. In a national survey between, the, they did a survey uh, of young men and women between the ages of 18 and 24, and this is what they found, is that one of the marks of adulthood, based on this survey, was when young people began to live their life and make life choices based on purpose, as opposed to just responding to hormones. That's how they knew they were transitioning from adulthood. But the sad part is, is that only 30% of those people surveyed, only 30% of these 18 to 24-year-olds 24 actually could acknowledge that they knew what their purpose was. So here's what I want to ask you. Do you know what your purpose is? Do you, do you honestly know what your purpose is? And I'm gonna tell you, your purpose probably isn't your job. How do I know what my purpose is? How would I ever discover what my purpose is? I'm gonna suggest that the way that you know what your purpose is is by just simply knowing what wrecks you. What wrecks you? What messes with your head? That's probably the purpose that God is calling you to. For me, I'm gonna tell you what my purpose is, is that what wrecks me is when I, people, when I see people who don't know the Bible. It wrecks me. When I, when I see people who, who call themselves Christ followers but yet do not know the word of God, it wrecks me, it motivates me, it energizes me, it gives me fire inside of my soul to stand on the stage even if I don't feel well, to stand on the stage and proclaim to you the word of God, tell you the stories of the Bible because it, it's what wrecks me. When you don't know what the Bible says, it wrecks me. What wrecks you? Because that's probably your purpose. And as, as long as you have a, a pulse, I'm just saying, as long as you have a pulse, you're not dead, God is not done. And if God is not done, he expects you to fulfill your, his purposes for you on this life. And oftentimes, where your purposes is found in the deep-seated places of your heart. That's where your purpose is found.
That makes sense? So you've got to figure that out. No one's going to bring it to you. God is not going to, God is not going to write it in the sky for you. You've got to figure it out. You just got to figure out what is your purpose in this life. And then lastly, I think Esther would say that when you know God is in control, when you know, you know, you know that God is in control, it's easier to take the next step. It's easier to take the next step. The first step that Esther had to take was just stand at the head of the court and wait for the king to beckon her to come forward. It was just the next step for her. That was the next step. So let me ask you this. What is your next step? Everybody here has a next step to take. What is your next step? I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I don't care if you're a week away from death or you're, or you, you know, you're barely out of middle school. I don't care who you are. I'm just simply saying everybody in this auditorium, everybody has a next step to take. What is your next step? What is your next step? And I'm gonna say, nobody, nobody, no one's gonna give it to you. You've gotta figure out what your next step is. Maybe for some of you, we have a baptism coming up. Maybe you've never publicly come out and said, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not ashamed of that. So I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell everybody that I'm a Christ follower. So you're gonna get baptized on the 17th. Maybe that's your next step. For many of you, maybe nobody at your job, nobody at your job knows that you're a believer. Nobody knows that you're a believer because you've been good at hiding it. Maybe your next step is to come out into the light and just simply tell somebody, I am a Christ follower. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my, for my salvation. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe your next step, for, for many of you, maybe your next step is finding your purpose. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never discovered that. So I'm just asking you, what is your next step? That's all God wants from you is for you to take the next step. You don't have to worry about 10 steps from here. You don't have to worry about any of those things. You just need to understand what is your next step. Make sense? Are you in? Look at me. Don't look at the floor, look at me. Are you in? Are you in? Or are you satisfied? By the way, I'm just gonna say this as lovingly as I can. I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again. Your next step isn't just to show up at church. Anybody can do that. Sitting in that chair isn't your next step. Your next step is to step out of that chair. That's what your next step is, to step out of that chair. So are you in? So here's the deal. You can't just shake your head. You've got to take an action step. So whatever it is this week, don't let a day go by until you say in your heart, I'm taking the next step that God has for me. I'm just taking that next step. And most of you here in this auditorium already know what that is. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this night. And I pray, God, that my words will resonate because, Father, I believe they're the words that you wanted me to say. So I pray that they would resonate in our soul and that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.